Funding for this edition of Think Tank with Steve Adubato has been provided by IBEW Local 102, lighting the path, leading the way. Bank of America. The Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. MD Advantage Insurance Company. NJM Insurance Group, serving New Jersey's drivers, homeowners, and business owners for more than 100 years. Operating Engineers, Local 825. New Jersey Sharing Network. Choose New Jersey. And by NJ Best. Promotional support provided by New Jersey Globe. And by AM970, The Answer. Welcome to Think Tank. I'm Steve Adubato with my co-anchor and colleague, our executive producer, Nicole Swinerton. Hey, Nicole, um, this program is very compelling. There are several guests we have on it, but the one I want to jump on uh, talking about right away is Dr. Julie Ansis, who's a professor of cyber psychology at NJIT. Why is that such an important segment? It's a super interesting segment. She talks all about um, our relationship with technology and how that is part of our psychology. Um, as people who we use a lot of technology these days, especially during the COVID pandemic, um, and how we are impacted by that. She talks all about loneliness, um, us being at home, how that's also a part of our psychology. So that was a really fascinating interview that you're about to see. And the other one we talked about with Dr. Stephen Bronquell, over at Englewood, who talked about um, a lot of things, but including vaccine resistance, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and he also talks about um, COVID fatigue, which I thought was really fascinating, and how people are just really getting sick of this pandemic, but how it's still so important to stay vigilant and safe. And the other segment is a great segment on um, Habitat for Humanity, Patterson Habitat for Humanity. Uh, check that out. By the way, let folks know uh, who our supporters are, Nicole. We would love to thank Bank of America, NJM Insurance Group, the International Union of Operating Engineers Local 825, and Choose New Jersey. Yeah, folks, so this is Think Tank. And what we often say to people is watch, learn, listen, question, challenge, but most importantly, Think Tank says uh, in the end, you got to think for yourself. And that's more important than ever before. That's Nicole, I'm Steve, and this is Think Tank. Hi, I'm Steve Adubato. I want to kick this show right off because there's so much to talk about. I'm going to welcome our two guests. We have um, Scott Millard, who is CEO of a great organization. It's the Patterson Habitat for Humanity, Habitat for Humanity International, but this is the Patterson operation. And C.T. Mobley, Division Vice President of Small Business Services in Diverse Business Channels at ADP. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for having us. So there's a history of ADP and, and Patterson Habitat working together for 20 years. To do what, Mr. Mobley? I think our common mission is, has been really around uh, serving and helping the, uh, you know, sort of uh, the community around Patterson specifically, uh, but, but helping the uh, underserved communities, uh, quite frankly, through, uh, through housing. So, but it's more than, let's go beyond that, because Scott, it's more than housing. Is it not job training 
economic development, as well as building homes. And why are they all connected, sir? They're all connected because our, our mission at, at Patterson Habitat for Humanity is to build homes, communities, and hope because homes are a critical aspect of safe, stable communities, but they're not enough. If the residents in those homes don't have access to quality education, quality food, quality jobs, economic development opportunities, they'll never thrive the way they can. And so our, our mission is to do all three using homes as a catalyst for the rest of it. And ADP has just been such a great partner for well over 20 years working with us to make those dreams a reality for the families we, we support and work with in these communities. And by the way, ADP, one of the underwriters of what we do, particularly as it relates to um, urban communities, um, issues of diversity, issues of racial and social inequities. Uh, CT, let me follow up with you. Talk about Patterson. Patterson doesn't get enough attention. There are major, there are bigger cities, if you will, like Newark and Jersey City. And Patterson, people don't know enough about. What are some of the challenges, particularly in the face of COVID, as we taped this at the end of April, that most citizens in Patterson are facing? What are some of those unique challenges? I would tell you that the, the challenges of Patterson, although you know, although it is a unique place, it are common to you know the places that you know small town America that we're seeing all over the country, right? Uh, you know, the 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 impact of COVID and the in, in, uh, disproportionate impact that it's had on communities of color, color uh, as it relates to jobs, as it relates to business, as it relates to education, as it, as it relates to uh, kind of the the general workings of of the community. I think have been uh, have, have been pretty substantial, and I think through the neighborhood revitalization that Habitat for Humanity is going after, I think this is uh, you know our our it, it lay, lays right into our mission. Through this, the last 14 months, ADP has really made a commitment to kind of really get itself ingrained in, in the communities and being from Patterson. Uh, we're, we're we're super excited and uh, motivated to to get more entrenched and dig in deeper. As the scope of Habitat for Humanity widens, we've we've we found an opportunity to kind of partner in a much much more robust way than we have, as Scott mentioned, over the past twenty years. Yeah. By the way, ADP, the founding of it, has some very strong Patterson ties. You can Wikipedia check it out. Let, let me come back to you, Scott. As I'm thinking about this, we keep talking about the role of not-for-profits. A lot of work that we're doing in our broadcasting as a not-for-profit production company focuses on the work of nonprofits, particularly as COVID has devastated so many communities and not-for-profits, so many of them don't even exist anymore, largely because of funding problems, otherwise known as fundraising. Let me ask you, where does most of your money come from? Our money comes from three primary sources. We are a nonprofit and we look at it in, in thirds. We sell the homes that we build to the new homeowner families. They are not given away, they are sold. They are sold at affordable prices. Um, and our typical cost to develop a new single family home is about $400,000 and those homes sell for $130,000 to $150,000. Hold on, do that again, do that, do that math again. People need to understand that. So the cost to develop a new single family home, which is why we are the only single family home producer in the city of Patterson for the past 35 years, is about $400,000 all in to, to build a home. That home sells to keep it affordable for between one hundred and thirty dollars and $150,000. 
So we need to make up a gap on every home we sell of between $250,000 and $280,000. How? So we make it up with two ways, government subsidy, um, through state subsidy, federal subsidy, which typically accounts for about 30 to 40% of the cost. And then the rest of it is philanthropy through individual philanthropy, corporate philanthropy, foundation philanthropy. Yeah, I'm going to talk about corporate philanthropy. CT, why for corporations, whether it's ADP or so many corporations that support not-for-profits, including, frankly, public broadcasting, let's be candid about that, it isn't a direct bottom line benefit to the company. And this isn't a commercial for corporate philanthropy, but as, as companies have to tighten up, tighten their belts, deal with fiscal challenges, they've been hit by COVID too. Where does quote unquote corporate responsibility fit in while you're trying to meet the bottom line? I think it fits in in, in that in order to, you know, we, we, as we feel the, feel the pain, we recognize that the community feels the pain even more. And so that, 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 those are the times that we need to buckle down and actually, you know, re, re, redouble our efforts uh, to, to partner with, you know, f- you know with, with organizations like Habitat for Humanity. You know, we've, as, as we keep mentioning the 20 year relationship, you know, from Henry Taub uh, to Phil DiZallo right now, you know, chaperoning this, uh, chaperoning the relationship to this point. Henry, Henry, one of the founders of ADP? Absolutely. I'm Absolutely. sorry. Pick up your point, CT. So, so I think you know, in this in this moment, and when we recognize that the we are the community and we're a part of the community. So, when the community is hurting, we're hurting. But we also know that we have uh, resources that we can make available to help support the community, so that when recovery happens, uh, we're all stronger because of it, and our relationships are stronger because of it. Let's put up the website because if for people who want to be a part of. Habitat for Humanity, who want to be a part of making a difference in the lives of others, who want to even, by the way, um, I can't find a beam in any one of our houses, but that doesn't mean that I couldn't and shouldn't be helpful in this regard. And all those who don't know anything about housing construction, there's a place, correct, Scott? There's there is absolutely a place. There is a place for everybody to come and be part of the solution whether it's in volunteering to build our houses, our staff will take anybody skilled or unskilled and get them productive on a job site. There's also other ways like our our new partnership was is we work with ADP to do job training, economic development, other community work at work out in the community as we seek to revitalize entire communities. So we can help anybody find that stud and and put a nail in it <laughs> successfully. But for other people who who have other skills and gifts that they want to put to use, there's a spot for everybody. Well, Scott and CT, I cannot thank you enough um, for joining us, but way more importantly, what you're doing every day. Thanks so much, and we wish you all the best. Thank you. I'm Steve Adubato. We'll be right back. To see more Think Tank with Steve Adubato programs and to listen to Think Tank with Steve Adubato, the podcast, visit us online at steveadubato.org. If you would like to express an opinion, email us at info at caucusnj.org. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash PhD, And follow us on Twitter at Steve Adubato. NJM Insurance Company has been serving New Jersey policyholders for more than 100 years. But just who are NJM's policyholders? They're the men and women who teach our children, the public sector employees who maintain our infrastructure, 
the workers who craft our manufactured goods, and New Jersey's next generation of leaders, the people who make our state a great place to call home. NJM, we've got New Jersey covered. We're now joined by Dr. Juliancis, who is a professor uh, and cyber psychology director at the New Jersey Institute of Technology, NJIT. Doctor, good to see you. Nice to see you. Thanks for having me on your show. Well, I've been wanting to talk to you for a while because I think about Zoom fatigue. I think about how isolated people have been. We're taping this at the end of April 2021, 20, uh, excuse me, 14 plus months as we go into the uh, COVID crisis, if you will, the global pandemic. What does that have to do with cyber psychology? Great question. I think it has everything to do with cyber psychology. Uh, cyber psychology is basically the study of how people behave in a technologically oriented environment. Um, and so that includes social media, and that includes the study of how social media impacts our well being. And certainly loneliness, and we're in a loneliness pandemic now, especially with younger generations, um, really has everything to do with the study of social media and its impact on well being and other aspects of cyber psychology. Loneliness. So interesting. So, for our kids who want to be with their friends more, they're with them some. And particularly as more teenagers and others are vaccinated. But, but not, as millions of other parents worry about this, we worry about our kids being lonely. But, okay, but they're online. When they're online playing games, interacting with each other, are they less lonely? Yeah, that's a, another good question. And I think By it's the way, a all I have is questions. I have zero answers, but go ahead. <laughs> um, I think it's a complicated issue. Um, so I, I don't come down as social media being all good or all bad. Um, if you look at the research in this area, it's quite complicated. So social media, playing games online, interacting with other people online is an incredible source of social support for many people, um, including our kids who are engaged in remote learning or have been this entire year. So it's really about, I think, looking at um, what are they looking at online? Uh, what kind of games are they playing online? How frequent are they engaged in their social media versus engaging in face-to-face, in-person interactions with friends or family? Uh, so I think there are a lot of variables to consider when we're looking at the impact of gaming on loneliness or gaming on anxiety and depression or even other aspects of social media use. The other thing that, that I often think about, um, again, when I say I think about it, it just means I know other people are thinking about it, is, so when I think about Zoom fatigue, all right, to me, I like, I need to see people. And I guess it would be better to have meetings in person, broadcast in person. Okay, we can't do that, let's do this. But then there are some people who say, I just don't want to even be seen anymore. So we're talking about loneliness, but the paradox or the thing that's confusing to me is it's less lonely when you can see and hear people in a Zoom meeting, but more and more people are saying, I don't want to be seen. I want to, I don't, I want to just be heard, which means they're less engaged. And trust me, there's a question here. If they're less engaged, aren't they more lonely? Doesn't Zoom bring us together? 
Yeah, it, it, it certainly has brought us together. So uh, the fact when I say that Zoom, we, I mean any platform. We're not promoting I Zoom. See. I mean any go to meeting, whatever it is. But go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, that's okay. I mean, um, the invention of these platforms, the creation of technology, technology and technological advances have enabled us to engage across time zones, across geographic regions uh, in ways we could never have imagined. So that's been incredible. Um, and as I mentioned uh, a moment ago, an incredible source of social support. Um, at the same time, you know, we really have to question whether these platforms and our engagement in these platforms can really replace face-to-face interactions because there are a lot of aspects of you know these kinds of engagements um, that are not necessarily natural and do have an impact on our psychology. Okay, so this is a really tough one. And I, I don't need you to tell me it's a good question because I, it's a good question because no one's ever answered this, okay? But you ask good questions, so okay. I mean it. I, I'm, I'm trying, <laughs> but here's the other one. One of our producers, by the way, when you say good questions, because our producer just said it in my ear, but you ready for this one? Mindfulness. The term mindfulness gets thrown around a lot. To me, I've tried meditation a million times and too many things going on in my mind, which I know is a self-defeating, I know the problem there. But it's not just me again. Mindfulness beyond meditation, whether it's just taking a walk, being with yourself, listening to music, reading, what value is there in this thing called mindfulness and how do we then f de determine the difference between mindfulness and loneliness? I go into myself, okay, and I feel better, but I'm lonely. We're, how do we protect ourselves there? Well, I'm a big proponent of mindfulness and um, I, like you, struggle with it. Um, but I've been practicing it for a very long time. So I think with the, you have. those folks, yes. Uh, so folks who are maybe type A and, and go-getters and high achievers like you um, perhaps um, may have a hard time um, just relaxing and being in the present moment. And mindfulness is all about being grounded, uh, being present and, um, having a state of mind and body where no matter what is happening around you, no matter whether there's chaos um, or not, that you're able to maintain your, your center and is extremely important. We're gonna talk offline about meditation. Uh, okay. By the way, Dr. Richard Carlson, Don't Sweat the Small Stuff, has a great chapter called Beware of the Busy Mind. Read it, check it out. Hey, ready for this one? I think back on January, um, sixth, right? That is the date for the horrific insurrection, the Capitol. So people came together. People weren't lonely, but they were also listening to the echo chamber back and forth digitally, telling themselves an election was stolen, came together. And the point I'm making is what about all the misinformation, confusing, contradictory, false? I'm together, I'm not lonely, but I'm, and I'm with these other people who believe what I, the question here is this, how the heck do we manage information and make sure that what we get is legitimate and accurate? That is uh, the challenge of this, this century. We are bombarded with information 24-7. Uh, 
And it's very difficult, uh, even for the most educated and the most informed to make sense of what's true and what's not true. Um, so there are a number of interventions and there are a number of- About 20 seconds left. I apologize for doing that to you, Julie, go ahead. There are a number of games that have been developed to teach people how to be more critical thinkers with regard to information online and to be able to spot when information is false or misleading. Cool. By the way, let's make sure in post-production we put, is there a website that people can go to on your end that people can find out more? Sure. Um, one could go to njit.edu to learn about the cyber psychology program. Uh, I also have a blog on psychology today online, the cyber psychology page. Awesome. And uh, I've also been leading up webinars related to cyber psychology with some of the leading speakers uh, across the world. And uh, one could find that on the YouTube channel, NJIT Cyber Psychology Center. Uh, doctor, thank you so much for joining us. And by the way, just to, to be clear, NJIT, one of the higher ed partners that we work with to promote important public information. Thank you, Julie, we appreciate it. Thank you very much. Stay with us, we'll be right back. To watch more Think Tank with Steve Adubato, find us online and follow us on social media. We're now joined by Dr. Stephen Brunquell, who is president of the Englewood Health Physician Network. Good to see you, doctor. Happy to be here, Steve. Uh, doctor, the uh, vaccine distribution as we speak right now at the end of April 2021, how are we doing A and B? We're about to talk about vaccine resistance. So I, I think the good news is that we've done a pretty good job in getting vaccine out quickly uh, to first and foremost, our most elderly and our most vulnerable. And I think the rest of the population, uh, now that everyone is eligible, uh, those who want a vaccine, I think, pretty much have been able to receive a vaccine. I know early on, there was a lot of competition. Uh, there's a lot of availability as we speak right now. Th the next challenge is, as you mentioned, the vaccine hesitancy, the portion of the population that, that doesn't care for a vaccine at this moment. So, Doctor, what would you say? I know I've asked so many really smart clinicians, healthcare experts this question. But there are a fair number of people watching right now. Some who say no, no way. Some who are still on the fence. As we do this program, the J&J &J situation is what it is. You know, I don't know what the federal government's going to do in terms of moving forward, but it had an impact. Let's just say that. For those who are still hesitant, what is the message you have for them in general? Then I'm going to ask you more specifically about women and pregnancy? So I, I, I divide the hesitant folks into three groups. One are young people who, you remember being young, we were invincible. They feel that invincibility now. They say, well, if I get it, I'll be sick for a few days, who cares? I've heard even some parents say, why don't they just get it and sort of develop antibodies, sort of like chicken pox, and it's not a big deal to which I say, yeah, but you have parents and you have grandparents. So that's, that's one group. The second group are uh, those in the black and brown communities. Um, and let's be perfectly honest, we, we are very aware 
of some of the disparities in our healthcare system that have been present for decades. When I started the vaccine process here at Englewood, I reached out uh, to a number of the religious uh, groups in, in our area, particularly the black churches. And I was frankly stunned that several times they brought up the Tuskegee Syphilis Project, which as your viewers may, may or may not be aware, was a federal program in the 1930s where the government intentionally uh, inoculated black men in Tuskegee, Alabama with the syphilis uh, uh, spirochete and deliberately infected them without their knowledge or their permission. That horror is still very much on the minds of black people in our area, particularly older blacks. Rightfully and, and so. Rightfully so, doctor. Absolutely rightfully so. I learned it in medical school and I am as horrified today as I was then. But we need to break down that. And, and I tried to do that with some education with those folks and basically saying, you're gonna get the same vaccine that I got. This is, this is but we have to understand their, their hesitancy because of that history. The third group is a group that either hasn't heard the data rejects the data, listens to social media, or just says, um, I'll think about it, I'll do it some other time. That to me is the toughest group, because as you know, there's a lot of misinformation out there. And if you, if you listen to social media, and you listen to some of the conspiracy theories and the hoax theories, and, the, and that it's going to change your DNA, and the government's going to track you, I, I'm not quite sure how to, how to get past some of that. Yeah, and, and for women, particularly women who are either pregnant or want to get pregnant, what is what do they need to know from a clinical medical safety perspective? So um, I, this is somewhat personal since my uh, son and daughter-in-law are planning on starting a family very soon. And so when the vaccine became available late in 2020, it was a big concern. And to be very frank, I was unsure of what to say to her. I think the data has been pretty clear. Uh, there is no uh, evidence of any effect on mother or fetus from this vaccine. There is no safety concern about a woman who is pregnant or planning on becoming pregnant from getting this. And one of the things I would add to them, to, to say to them, is that it would be far worse for you to be ill with COVID when you're pregnant than to get a vaccine. Um, real quick on this, Journal Square, Jersey City, right? Yeah. Uh, Anglewood Medical Complex opening in the fall? Um, uh, late in the fall, yes. W what is it and why does it matter? Sp especially as we talk about underserved communities. Uh, we, Steve, we're making a, a huge commitment to the, the community of Jersey City, which as you know, is just you know expanding by leaps and bounds. Um, I, we, uh, we are building about 75,000 square feet. It's a true multi-specialty, office with all the primary care, medical, surgical subspecialties. We'll have a diabetes center. Uh, we're considering some, some uh, a specific program to uh, uh, address asthma in the city. Uh, we'll have uh, radiology. We'll have urgent care. We, we, are, we have a number of practices in the Englewood Health Physician Network in Jersey City now. So we'll be consolidating them uh, and expanding the services to, to that community.
Got about 30, 40 seconds left. By the way, Englewood uh, Health, one of the healthcare organizations that support what we do. But real quick, uh, for those who say I'm done, I'm do literally I'm done with COVID as if COVID doesn't have something to say about that. COVID fatigue, 30 seconds, go. I think we're all exhausted by COVID fatigue and the only way out of this is to get a vaccine. Um, all the people at Englewood Hospital right now who have COVID, none of them had a vaccine. Nobody getting a vaccine, zero. Nobody is being admitted to the hospital who has had a COVID vaccine. It's as simple as that. And you know what, Steve? The, the sickest people are my age and your age. They're not the very elderly. They're people who have a lot of years left. And, and it's, it's tragic to see this happen to them. And there's no good reason for it now. Um. I don't know what there is to say after that because it speaks volumes. Most importantly, thank you for everything you and all of your colleagues are doing, particularly on the front lines to protect all of us and also best to you and your family as it expands. And thank you so much. And thanks for getting this message out about vaccine hesitancy. It is the most important thing we should do right now. It is our honor. Thank you, Doctor. I'm Steve Adubato, and we thank you for being with us. And we'll see you next time. Think Tank with Steve Adubato has been a production of the Caucus Educational Corporation. Funding has been provided by IBEW Local 102, Bank of America, the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, MD Advantage Insurance Company, NJM Insurance Group, Operating Engineers, Local 825, New Jersey Sharing Network, Choose New Jersey, and by NJ Best. Promotional support provided by New Jersey Globe and by AM970, The Answer. NJM Insurance Company has been serving New Jersey policyholders for more than 100 years. But just who are NJM's policyholders? They're the men and women who teach our children, the public sector employees who maintain our infrastructure, the workers who craft our manufactured goods, and New Jersey's next generation of leaders the people who make our state a great place to call home. NJM, we've got New Jersey covered.